Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as your hosts, Jimmy Atkinson and Andy Hagens, discuss tax-advantaged investment strategies to help you grow your wealth. From commodities to real estate, private equity, agribusiness, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I am your host, Andy Hagens. And today we're talking about future and current trends in the DST industry. We're talking 1031s, Delaware statutory trusts, and all kinds of the nitty gritty that my guest, Justin Amos, who is national sales manager and account executive at JTC Americas, all those trends that he has seen from that inside perspective, because he really has his fingers on the pulse of the DST industry. Uh, Justin, welcome to the program. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me. And so I mentioned that I, I really think that you see this world, the world of DSTs uh, from the inside angle. So could you tell us a little bit more about your background, what you do at JTC Americas? Yeah, no, of course. So, you know, our role, you know, within the 1031 exchange space is, you know, really dual folded at JTC Americas. Um, you know, as a qualified intermediary, we get to get, do the day to day experience, you know, managing clients, you know, 1031 exchanges from beginning to end. Uh, and then also as a fund administrator, um, we work with DST sponsors, helping provide the back office solutions. So um, helping onboarding the, those investors that are coming from 1031 exchanges onto their into their investment offer offerings, managing the, the, the investment process throughout the entire uh, fund life cycle. So handling the fund accounting, uh, treasury services. So really getting to know the inner in weeds of what sponsors are looking for from, uh, you know, as an administrator like ourselves, but in additionally, putting out products that are meeting these investors uh, criteria for a suitable replacement property. Okay. So you're working with, with the sponsors, uh, for fund administration, and then your qualified intermediary for investors who are wanting to 1031 exchange into a DST. So you're actually familiar with all of the friction, right? Like all these kinds of transaction, there's pain points or friction or, or whatever you want to call it. And you you basically get to see that from both angles. Yeah. And um, hopefully our solutions are actually helping solve that that friction that you, know, that, that you speak of. A lot, of. a lot of times when we're speaking with sponsors, that friction ends up having to be with you know, with qualified intermediaries and their investor services team having to reach out to each of these investors with some time, uh, you know, amounts to hundreds and hundreds of investors. So you can imagine having to touch on different points uh, for these investors, trying to get the money put into the to, into the offering so they can actually close the accounts. You know, um, as you may or may not know, some of these offerings close, you know, within days of, you know, being launched uh, into the market. Um, and some, but they really don't end up closing. Uh, they, they, they may have the capital all fully, you know, amassed for the offering, but they don't actually close until a few weeks later. And that has to do with, you know, uh, finalizing the documents, a part of the transaction, getting the money actually into the offering is because sometimes, you know, QIs are still very, you know, paper database or one person is controlling the, the, the portion of the proceeds that end up uh, sending out the money. So there's a lot of headaches that can be involved. Uh, you know, with this type of uh, transaction, these types of investments, and you know, our solution really combines all of it into one, really eliminating um, the headaches for our sponsors, and so that way they can focus on what they, you know, they they do best is you know sourcing these acquisitions and putting quality product out to, to meet their investors' uh, needs for investment. 
Well, so, and I'm familiar, by the way, with JTC Americas and a lot of your solutions. So I know that, uh, you know, JTC Americas as a company is very uh, technology oriented. And like you said, focus on hopefully removing that friction. But is this, is this industry still stuck in the stone age, you know, talking about 1031 exchanges and qualified intermediaries, or is that starting to change? No, no, I think that's, you know, it's a great question. I, I, I think we're slowly starting to change. Um, you know, I think when we were back, you know, founded in 2005 with this idea that there are these certain investment programs, you know, while well-intentioned, uh, you know, may lack the, the transparency or technology to help streamline the administrative requirements for these types of, you know, funds or transactions. Um, we were really going out to really do better with the industry. As you may or may know, you know, back in 2005 or 2008, when the turn of the housing crisis, there was a lot of QIs that were gambling people's money, uh, you know, putting them in commingling people's funds, putting them in highly liquid accounts. And, you know, there was a lot of fraud being done in the space. And um, and I still to this day, the QI, the qualified intermediary or QI industry is is not regulated. You know, we were spending a lot of time, mm-hmm. JTC and I, and I know our, our executive team spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill trying to push best practices, you know, right, try, try to have the, the, the who can be a QI and what the, the industry uh expects of, of these of these types of companies but unfortunately um, still to this day there 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 is no regulation so uh, there's no a certain set of rules that each qi has to do they each company can really uh you know does what they, what they want to do with with the with the funds or, or how they operate they you know some some have come up to in and mm-hmm. to meet the industry standard but uh, there is no uh, this lie in the sand it just really needs to be a, a truly third party you know regulator uh, over these over these exchangers funds. So so, uh, so if I'm if I'm completing a 1031 exchange, I'll need a qualified intermediary, wh- whether it's into a DST or or a direct property. Correct. That, yeah, and that, I, yeah. I could look into JTC Americas or uh, my best friend's second cousin's uh, bookie or something. Yeah. <laughs> I might want to go with the name brand JTC Americas. Yes, yeah, you would definitely want to go with your name brand. You know, most people commonly think like, oh, like I'm working with my CPA or attorney. They can be, uh, they can be a qualified intermediary. I know I have no close relations with them, but the IRS deems those people as you know related parties. So because you're they're providing you with you know certain advice or guidance, whether it be you know tax or legal. um, Because as a qualified intermediary, we we can't provide any legal or tax advice. Otherwise, that would disqualify us. Uh, for hold, for holding such positions, so it really needs to be uh, a truly third party oversight of, of these types of funds, and a, and a name brand definitely helps make you feel comfortable uh, about who you're working with. Obviously, another point I would say expertise. How long has the company been in the industry? Uh, for us, we've been in the business for about 17 years, uh, and and like I said, and then the technology component of it that we bring to the space, which I would say um, really separates ourselves from the other companies is that we've taken the liberty of not staying in the stone age, operating on, on a paper processing, you know, just uh, focusing on one person to manage our operations. We have a full team providing our back office servicing and each of our clients are dedicated and exchange expert leveraging both our, our personal uh, and manpower or people power uh, and our technology together to really help uh, our business scale and helping, you know, efficiently process, you know, exchanges uh, at a high clip. Got it. Okay. Well, 
I, I think most of our listeners and viewers are familiar with 1031 exchanges. I'm guessing a lot of them are pretty familiar with DSTs, but I'm, I'm guessing a few of them are not. So, you know, I, I we know that DSTs, they're a way to 1031 exchange into real estate product, but it's, frac- it's fractionalized. So I don't have to 1031 exchange directly into a property that I individually own, no. but instead I'm pulling my money together with other investors and I get to be an LP, a passive investor um, in the DST. So it's a way to 1031 into something that I passively own. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about origins of DSTs, uh, Delaware Statutory Trust, by the way, I don't know if we've said that yet in the mm-hmm. episode. Uh, talk a little bit about the origin of the DST program and how it might compare to similar types of wrappers or vehicles. Yeah, no, no, no I definitely get to touch on that. Um, so, you know, it, it was founded on, our, on the revenue ruling of two, uh, 2004-86. Um, this, it, it really became... Uh, in essence, to a difference to the the tenant in common space, so uh, for or, or TIC or, or tick investments, uh, as you know, there became a lot of complications uh, with these types of offerings. Though, though they do qualify for, as a suitable replacement property for these types of investments, people pooling together into one large offering. The difference being is that um, as fund managers or owners of the uh, tenant in common investments start to find out that there are a lot of complications, even from an investor standpoint, they're having to, uh, you know, do background checks or having access to the debt portion uh, of the investment, you know, any decisions that are looking to be made on the property or properties under this uh, offering have to go through each of the investors. And, you know, and, Everyone, as you can imagine, has their own set of agenda, you know, own set so of unanimous. Opinion. It's like a unanimous bylaw type. of Yeah, thing. Ex- exactly. Right. Yeah. Wow. So okay. so everyone has to agree, like whether it's, you know, to change the fence post on, on the house or, or maybe even just to do a construction thing. So, ha- you know, so that so as you can imagine, that that, that can make the, those types of decisions drag on and. Uh, and be tedious. Whereas in, in a in Delaware statutory trust, you, you are you're, it's a slice of the pie, and you're buying a beneficial interest in this in this trust. But the responsibility, both from a, a financial standpoint uh, and the decision making, are with these you know large commercial real estate companies that have been doing this uh, you know for many many years. Uh, and I think that's the attractive part uh, with Delaware statutory trust versus you know tenant and comic investments. So it's not I wouldn't say mom mom and pop or maybe your local you know, real estate syndications. These are companies that have, you know, a track record, track record of success, been in the industry for many years. Uh, on top of that, it is a, a passive investment. So, you know, going from the day-to-day management of, you know, trash and garbage of your, you know, your physical piece of real estate, now you're moving into something uh, that's truly uh, uh, meant to be a, a, just a, a rent check that you, or a check, a mail check that you get every single month. Right. So now talking a little bit about DSTs, I mean, I know that they've they've blown up in a good way. They're tremendously popular. And I, I think you touched on that, just the structure of having a trustee. And they're highly regulated, by the way, Delaware Statutory yes. Trust. There's a lot of restrictions on, you know, what kind of real estate, their assets they can buy, how they have to operate it, and so on and so forth. Uh, but just having that trustee make decisions and and be a passive investor versus you know, we have 20 investors and we need 20 to vote the same way on every single decision. I mean, it just seems intrinsically um, more efficient. But let's talk about sales for a minute and how these products are distributed. Um, I know that some DSTs can be sold directly 
to accredited investors. So like 506C, and then some of them are sold as 506Bs through registered reps, through broker dealers. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any sense on the, the proportion of you know transactions or assets that are placed through uh, financial advisors versus 506Cs that are you know direct? To yeah, so I, in, uh, so I would say the the industry itself has been um, predominantly 506B, um, and I think that's you know due to you know a lot of the sales agreements that these sponsors don't have to take the responsibility of going direct to, to investors and having to really source their own capital. They, they go through either RIAs or managing broker dealers that specialize in these types of investments and are, have a wide net. Uh, uh, well, real quick, how many of those are there? So you mentioned, you know, RIAs and um, broker dealers, you know, fi financial advisors that specialize in this type of investment. I think it was Louis Reynolds that we had on the show. Yeah. Um, he, he basically said, Look out of the thousands of RIAs and and the thousands of um, registered reps, the vast majority of them have almost no awareness or no experience with these DSTs, right? So, do you have any sense, even from the advisor perspective, like is this a relatively narrow subset of advisors that tend to specialize in real estate transactions, or do they just advise high net worth individuals, or? Break that down for me. No, 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 and uh, no. So shout out to, to Lou Reynolds and uh, and his company there. He and him and his group are doing you know great with, within you know uh, getting, putting people in front of the right piece of product. Uh, and, and I know they have a great touch with both the sponsors and you know and the RIAs and managing broker dealers that are in the space. Uh, but it, like he mentioned, and you know I'll mention, and we and we we feel here at JTC America, this is definitely a very ten thirty one exchanges itself. Uh, is a very niche and specialized market, and not even your, not every CPA or even every attorney is, you know, familiar with, you know, this type of investment uh, as a solution for 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 their clients, and, and which is why, you know, what you're doing right now, um, you know, with this podcast, education and, and inform, in, informing people is what's really going to help the industry continue to succeed and, um, you know, get the word out there that that. This, these types of invest, this type of offering is out there, or this type of solution is out there for you know your average exchanger. Um, but also limiting it down to to a numbers, you know, I would definitely say it's specialized. Not every financial advisor knows you know about DSTs. They they may have it on their you know their firm's you know platform as a, as a potential solution, but they're not going to be able to you know walk you through the benefits, do the due diligence on. I, I see it in my little database, but I've never clicked that button. Right? Exactly, exa exactly right. Yeah, I was like, I know, I know it's there. I was like, I don't know too much about it. Um, yeah. You know, is this something of interest to you? Um, and, and and that's probably about it. Like, and and they and they, mo they might know like key phrases, ten thirty one or or DST, and and don't get DST you know confused with you know a deferred sales trust. You know, that's you know uh, Delaware statutory trust is something that's actually you know proven to be successful. It's been around. There is a revenue ruling with the IRS, whereas you know with the deferred sales trust, this is something that's been been growing popular over the last few years, but yeah, it's, it, don't get that get that confused with uh, you know. Dustin, you yeah. just gave me a, a flashback. Um, this was years ago. I, I co-founded ETF Database, which uh, my partners Jimmy and Michael and I we sold that business. It was um, the largest independent media site at the time that we had that uh, covered ETFs, exchange traded funds. Yeah. And my mom always asked me, "How's the EFT database going?" Uh, like for five years straight. EF, the EFT, I'm like, 
I think he, I don't know what EFT stands for. Yeah. <laughs> the ETF database. Anyway. Um, so, so Delaware stat story, there's, there are a lot of these acronyms get thrown around and I know exactly right. Yeah. Sometimes, so. And sometimes it's hard to keep them all, all together, but yeah, Delaware yeah. statutory trust is, is, you know, what we're talking about here. And the one that's yeah. you know, actually has, you know, some backing with, you know, IRS revenue rulings, uh, and legal procedures that this is a qualifiable, uh, investment solution for 1031 exchanges. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about how hot this market is because, I mean, it's tracks, it tracks somewhat with how hot 1031s are and how hot the real estate market is, but DSTs are, they're, they're kind of their own thing because not only, you know, you're only going to 1031 into a DST, right? An investor isn't going to invest into one unless they're 1031 exchanging out of another property. Is that correct? Um, no, actually. So a lot of, uh, so 10, uh, DSTs are actually also available to um, cash offerings as well. Um, so the, the okay. different, the different minimums between the investments, uh, you know, vary per sponsor, but typically, you know, from an industry standard standpoint, usually it's about, you know, $50,000 for, uh, you know, cash investments and a hundred thousand dollars for, uh, um, a 1031 exchange. Well, that's interesting though. But so if I invest then in, and it's not a replacement property at that point, it's no. just, it's almost like I'm investing in a non-traded REIT or it's a different legal structure. Of course. Um, so that's interesting. So if I just invest cash into a DST and then it goes full cycle, you know, five, seven, nine years later, I get my cash out. Can I then 1031 exchange that cash proceeds yep. uh, into a new property? No, no, you had you're you're following the trend. Yeah, exactly right. So if so, okay. if you invested in a cash offering, and you know you're not going in with an exchange proceeds, but now you've seen that you know that capital investment go full cycle, and hopefully now you have some capital gains at the time of the, the offering. Oh, yeah. So so that would be the okay. Because I'm thinking, why would I invest if I'm just pure cash? Why would I invest into DST versus just putting it into a REIT or any other kind of private equity real estate fund? Um, and the reason is because it's treated for 1031 exchange purposes. Exactly when it, right. that, yeah, so that's the primary reason that I would choose to invest just regular cash, not as a replacement property, but just invest in a DST would be to like start the chain mm -hmm. of 1031 exchanges. Exactly right. And so maybe you're looking to, you know, build your real estate portfolio. You don't want to own physical piece of real estate, but you want to invest in these different types of offerings. So now you're starting the chain of, you know, essentially, you know, 1031 exchanging until you die as you know, the common, you know, phrases within. Swap till you drop. Yeah, exactly. Swap yep. till you drop. Exactly right. And so you're starting that chain because you can then, you know, full cycle. And now you have a capital gain, you know, or a tax, um, uh, point and then you can you know reinvest it into it in another dst or if you've you know depending on your cash offering into the investment you can you know leave it and go into um you know a physical piece of real estate but you really have that decision that at that point you know where, where ultimate direction you want to go i would say most most investors are not deciding to pay the capital gains at that point mm -hmm. um but you know there are there are there there are few that end up doing it but i would say that those are slim to none got it okay so we know that, um, or at least from what I understand, the the cycle for D the DST is the sales cycle, I should say, the capital raising cycle. Um, I guess I, I don't know the trend and what it was like in 2015, 2016, 2017, 
But like last year, I would hear of DSTs being open and then being fully funded literally in a couple of days and just like almost immediately closing um, because there was so much investor interest. So obviously the DST market was very hot. Um, now I've seen, the, you know, we've seen the general real estate market into this year, into 2022, it's cooled down, at least in terms of transaction volume. Um, and that includes commercial real estate, residential real estate. Has has DST sales volume cooled down along with the rest of the market, or is that is the volume still, you know, continuing on? This kind of, it's kind of at a new a new peak, I would say. Yeah, and, no, uh, no. So you know, over the last few years, we've seen the the DST industry itself continually to increase and increase in the equity raise. So separately, I'm just a 1031 exchange transactions that were being performed, just focusing specifically on DSTs uh, since at least 27, 2018, seeing an increase of from about 2 billion, you know, 3 billion, 4 billion. And last year, it was the highest uh, DST equity raise, you know, since since it, it became a, you know, a revenue ruling in 2004 of 7 billion that was, you know, raised into all these different types of uh, offerings. There's about 33, 34, you know, named uh, you know, main companies that are, you know, putting out these types of product, but there's, you know, obviously there's, you know, a few other small ones. Uh, so, so, so what's the limiting factor then? So it sounds to me like it's, it's almost like must be deal flow or something because it's almost like they can't launch enough DSTs if they're all closing. Right? I mean, and, th and that, and that's exactly right. And like, and that and oftentimes that's the, the, the problem that, you know, sponsors are facing is just finding an acquisition that, you know, ultimately meets their, expectations as a company um, is being able to find a suitable deal that they can acquire that they feel confidently putting out to investors that will make uh, obviously generate enough capital, which there's enough capital out there to to put into these types of offerings, especially from these companies that have shown a track record for success. But it's really just finding uh, these companies finding an acquisition that meets their investment criteria. So then if there's it almost seems like there's at least temporarily almost like a mismatch between supply of DST opportunities and, and demand for them. Um, are, are sponsors using this as an opportunity to like raise their fees or are you seeing, you know, that there's just sort of an industry standard type of deal, you know, and, and fees that have remained relatively constantly. Do you have any view on that? Yeah. So I would say um, from a, from a, from a sponsor standpoint, I think it's, it's been relatively from an industry standard, I think. Um, and I think that's because they know, um, you know, they know that they're going to, they, they, they at least have a pipeline of products that they're looking to, you know, put into place. I've actually seen more and more, you know, you would think, you know, with the lack of, you know, acquisition or finding a suitable property that would, it would do that. But I were finding more and more companies coming into this space and creating these types of offerings. So uh, it, rather than being the deterrent, I think people are more trying to get their, you know, their, their slice of the pie of these types of offerings, especially because, you know, like you, you were, we were alluding to earlier about, you know, the change in the, in the the commercial real estate or the residential, the market is that with inventory being so low, less people putting properties onto space because, you know, partly because the, the rise in interest rates and being able to secure debt, maybe to complete their 1031 exchange and ultimately purchase the replacement property, uh, yeah. but also um, just due to, you know, the, the changing of, you know, being able to people to afford certain properties. So it really just becomes uh, a, a buyer's market in, in that case, in the sense of being able to have enough capital to, to purchase those properties. And so DSTs become advantageous um, because for two reasons, one, it, it 
allows these people to still do a 1031 exchange uh, and being able to defer those capital gains that they were looking to do at the first point for starting this 1031 exchange transaction. Uh, but also, depend most DSTs come with um, some leverage or some debt, uh, and they're able to, so people carrying over some debt into an exchange that needed to be replaced can now be soaked up by that DST offering without them as an exchange are having to take on a uh, new debt or acquiring a new mortgage that they would have had to do uh, by buying a, a physical piece of real estate. I mean, using an example of... Oh, you mean just because the, the DST, like the sponsor has already secured the debt for financing for the deal. So you as an individual, you don't need to worry about... I don't need to worry about my personal financial statements. I fund my 100K or my 500K into the DST the sponsor's already taken care of whatever, you know. Debt yeah, exactly right. And depending on how, you know, how much, you know, the percentage is it's leverage in each of the debt, you know, and the offering, that's how much it can be soaked up, you know, for, for that respective exchanger, because they're, they're assuming the responsibility or the trust is assuming the responsibility of this debt. Um, so there's no, like I said, there's no, the, the difference between the tick, the tick investments, there's no necessarily background check or, you know, you looking up your bank statements or right. how much capital you have to pay it off. It's the other responsibility of the sponsor, but from an exchange perspective, now you're also offsetting the debt that you needed to uh, replace uh, as, as many or may not know in a 1031 exchange, it's not just replacing the equity uh, in, in a suitable replacement property. It's also the debt. So everything has to become even Stevens, if you will. Uh, you know, with the IRS to to, defer, to fully defer those capital gains. Any difference, uh, you know, would you know is would be taxed, you know, at the respective rate, but depending on that difference. But um, so that so that, that there is that other part of the advantageous part of investing in a DST besides the passiveness is, you know, it, it could also help you uh, the exchanger not having to take on some new debt that they they may not want to. Right. Yeah, and it, I imagine, you know, given the types of assets that DSTs type, you know, tend to hold, um, you know, you have the seven deadly sins, you have all these regulations mm-hmm. that govern the trustee, uh, you know, essentially a sponsor, the types of properties they can buy, uh, the types of improvements they can do typically very limited. So there's not yeah. going to be, they're not going to be like heavy value add. Um, not construct, you're not seeing too much construction though. We've seen some, you know, over the last year or so, again, with the popularity of DSTs, some sponsors get creative with, you know, different ground up lease combinations of properties. And, and- oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that. So, you know, historically I've always told people, and, and we actually have a, a DSTs investors guide on our website on altstb.com that people can download. And I mean, it's it's really just an introduction into the world of DSTs. I think we're getting more into the weeds now. Um, but historically, um, in the guide, we talked about how they tend to be income generating properties that don't have, you know, the, the, there can be a, a potential for capital appreciation, of course, but not like, you know, a, a really opportunistic investment where you're really looking for that huge capital gain. That's typically not going to, be the type of asset that would be legal for a DST to own because of all those legal restrictions, restrictions. on them. Yeah. But, but, but what you're saying is, um, and I assume legally, because yeah. I, you know, I know people in this game are generally larger, more established sponsors, but they found ways to be more creative. I mean, are they looking at the type of assets that could have more capital appreciation or 
Yeah, no, no, exactly right. And like you said, legally, of course, is that you know that you know I'm not I'm not an attorney or I haven't gone through law school, so that this is definitely above you know my grade. But you know, working with these you know these types of relationships, you know, from a you know from a fund administration perspective, and you know, obviously overseeing some PPMs, you know, we we've gotten to see some creative structures that are a little bit more value added, uh, or they they have. Uh, constructions within the offering that where they can go into, like you said, a, like a ground lease type investment that eventually also these those investors would move into uh, an ultimate asset that, that ends up being constructive. So there's there's ways that are getting uh, invested, but typically you're seeing trust by actual physical pieces of real estate. But there are uh, these more and more creative structures that are, you know, like I said, legally coming out there to to get, have a, a larger type of, you know, well, and that's, that's the interesting thing about DSTs because, you know, they're, they're such a, a wonderful wrapper, such a wonderful instrument to yep. use the 1031 exchange program in a passive way to access institutional grade, you know, real commercial estate. real estate. So they're awesome. Right. But on the other hand, if the whole point is to go passive and then 1031 exchange and put together a string of 1031 exchanges and swap till I drop. Mm-hmm. I don't really want a DST to be focused on current income. I, I would actually prefer to wait it towards that capital gain, right? Because that's, yeah, the, it's, that's the advantage of the 1031 exchange program is. Yeah, pro- exactly right. It's like ideally you're, you're wanting to invest in something and then hope and hopefully that investment appreciates over the years that you've held it. Uh, to right. a point now that you're real and obviously you know working with your cpa depreciation recapture and things like that that offset certain you know expect you know expenses but you know in theory you're going to have a gain at the time that someone you know knocks on your door approaches you to buy that property uh, or you've done improvements on the property over years you know what, what, whatever whatever's gotten to that you know appraisal total um and so now you're you're faced with the option of you know paying the gains or doing a 1031 exchange. And like you said, that's, you know, the ultimate goal. And so for these investors or these sponsors, you know, over the last few years, you know, I think when I first started, I think these, you know, these investments and these, these companies were, you know, holding it for the full length of time. So a DST um, from beginning to end can only be held for 10 years at the end of. Let let me stop you right there. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, that was my next question. So Yeah, let's talk about life cycle. So I referred to, we have an investor's guide to DSTs on our website. Um, you can scroll down. I think it's on our footer, linked on our footer or something. You can scroll down to download that. But historically, I know we talk about this in the guide, historically a life cycle for a DST, at least you should count on it being five to 10 years. Yeah. Right? It may be shorter than that, but like that's to be on the safe side. If you're going to invest in one, you should be assuming I'm going to have limited to no liquidity for at least five years, up to 10 years. But we were talking briefly before we hit the record button. um, And you mentioned that a lot of these life cycles had gotten a little bit shorter. Yeah. So, so we, over the last few years, and and again, I think this has to do with, you know, how commercial real estate has appreciated, you know, significantly you know, since, you know, 2019, 2020, obviously there was a pause with the pandemic, you know, for, for real estate, but right once we figured out how to do it, you know, transactions were starting to happen that, you know, I believe we're right in 2021 was obviously a, a product of that. Um, so we were seeing, you know, certain offerings go for that, that shift for between three to seven years. Uh, some of these offerings were coming full cycle. They, they got in meant to, you know, hold it for a longer period of time, but they were just getting such uh, amount of turn that these sponsors couldn't say no. And, and so, then, so to read between the lines, then, am, am I hearing essentially 
look, our goal was to double in price to, to get, you know, which over seven years might've worked out to whatever, a 10 or 11% IRR or whatever it is. But, in, but then actually the asset price doubled in three years. Yes. Yeah. There's no no point in holding another four years. Let's cash in now and lock in these. Games. Exactly, exactly right. And so, and like, and that, and that's the you know the in theory, you know, if working with a good sponsor, you know, they, they have the obligation not just to themselves, but the goal is for to to double on the investment, but for the investors. So if they believe that they're getting, you know, they've reached their threshold of what they were looking to accomplish within seven years, for instance, um, and they did it in three, you know. You know why not cash out now, and we can move that money into an, another better offering that we can appreciate, or you know. Well, I would say this. I would say this to play devil's advocate. Of course, I, mean, I, I like that idea because you give investors liquidity, gives them choice. Yep. Right. So it, if I invested in multifamily, I wanted to double my money or whatever, and I doubled my money, give me the money back, and then if I want to put that in more multifamily, I can. If I want to go do something else with it, I can. On the other hand. Um, there are fees and expenses and commissions that are associated for every transaction. So, you know, in, in some ways, I, I personally, just speaking as like an LP, as an investor, of course, I'm looking to balance, okay, I understand uh, every transaction, there's, you know, five to 10% of my investment is probably being eaten up by transaction costs and commissions. So I'm, I'm balancing the velocity versus uh you know the freedom of being able to replace that money with well but if i hold i don't have to pay that you know it's it's kind of like when you when you are buying and selling individuals every single time you pay a realtor they get their commission so the more you transact you know those fees add up so 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 the nice part you know i you know with you know and how those are typically be handled it's very most most sponsors and and I guess you know financial advisors or you know managing broker dealers, it's very front loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happened, like you said, it happens at the time of the investment, and you know, and then you know at the time of close. Um, you know, if 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 you're just looking to roll into another one of the offerings, I think that does eliminate a lot of the different fees that you could be going through with another realtor or anything like that. And most spot, you know, if if you were happy with the sponsor and how they performed in this, in this example, as you mentioned. Oh, so they, so for instance, a commission or fees could be waived if you roll over a DST with a particular sponsor into another DST offered by that same sponsor. Correct. I mean, so each, each investor has their respective registered rep that, you know, that got them into the offering and not in that, you know, they can advise on them on year to year based on how it's performing and things like that. Um, okay. But if they're just rolling into the same offering, that's not like they're being put into you're not being advised by anything, then it's just an exchange fee because they, it's just you're working with a qualified intermediary, you, they have your exchange fee, and then you're just investing into uh, most sponsors when they they are going through a cycle, they usually present out a letter uh, or so to each of the investors about a month or so before the actual closing uh, of the, the sale, uh, notifying them, hey, we've accepted an offering for this investment, you know, congratulations, we've you know, hit whatever benchmark. Um, and Mr. and Mrs. Investor, um, would you like to to attend 31 Exchange? If yes, please check this box. Tell us who you're working from a qualified intermediary. Our investor services team will reach out to them and okay. provide them with the information. Um, if no, okay, please tell us where you would like us to distribute the cash and be happy to have you on investment. And like I said, most people in a DST typically aren't you know, cashing out, if, you know, specifically they're happy because they've doubled their money or whatever the value, you know, how much 
their capital gains would be. And they usually just keep staying with the respective company or they could diversify again, the option of choice. And that's the, the one thing we as humans, uh, you know, love to have. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing when you get that kind of a capital gain, it, it's, I always tell people it's a double-edged sword because, um, you know, even, even like homeowners, you know, across the nation, myself included, it's like, wow, my home has really gone up in value. If I sold it, I would realize, you know, X, Y, Z capital gain, but then I'd have to go buy another home. And that asset price has inflated just as much as as I'm selling, you know? So (laughs) it, if you stay in the real estate market, sometimes it just, it, it feels like a wash to me, but I have an investor question actually, because, you know, I know as as a qualified intermediary, you work with a lot of different investors Mm -hmm. and I've, I've always kind of mentioned, you know, the, the typical DST investor or typical use case is someone who has performed multiple 1031 exchanges in direct properties that they directly own and operate and manage. And maybe they're getting closer to retirement age or they you know, have achieved some success in life and they're tired of dealing with the three T's, right? Toilets, mm-hmm. tenants, and trash. And yeah. time to go passives, time to hit the golf course or the tennis court. Yeah. Eliminate all the headaches. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, people that are essentially making kind of a one-time shift from actively owning real estate assets, and they may have done multiple 1031 exchanges along the way, and then they 1031 exchange into the DST and they're probably just going to be owning DSTs then for, from then on forward. From that, from that point on, yeah. But you mentioned that right now, um, some investors, and this was before the call, we were just kind of shooting the breeze. Some some real estate owners, they're almost just parking their money in these because the real estate market, it's obviously the real estate market is making a lot of people a little nervous right now, right? Yeah. Huge run up, and a lot of people are sitting on big gains. It's like I can cash in some gains, but do I really necessarily want to buy another individual asset at these prices with interest rates where they are? And so, given that the life cycle, even can I, you know, like, like, can I, you know, because obviously 1031 exchanges are, you know, very, you know, time time oriented. So it's like, can I even secure the debt that I need? You know, because I, I just think about, you know, if, if if it's an all cash transaction, sure, like, you know, and then that eliminates you know, at least one part of the stress. And then it's just buying you know, a piece of real estate. And can I outbid somebody? But sure. also just even can I even secure the debt that we potentially need to replace in the replacement property, too? And, um, you know, sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. So, so, well, that's what I was getting at is with the clients you're working with now. So now I'm talking about 2022. You know, it looks like we're probably in a recession and interest rates are higher. There's a lot of economic uncertainty. Yeah. Is there are there is there an increasing proportion of of investors who are using it as more of a temporary vehicle or maybe even like not by choice, but like you said, like they're just not able to find a replacement property versus like the prototypical user I was talking about was like someone who's getting ready to retire. Yeah, no, I know we've definitely seen. I've definitely seen an uptick in exchangers using um, like DSTs as a, I'll call it a parachute, if you will. 
um, as yeah. like literally like a, a last pool resort of like, okay, like I've, I've listed two pieces of, you know, real estate that I'm interested in buying maybe, um, but I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to be able to, to secure that. So let me have this DST as a backup, complete my 1031 exchange, defer the gains that I, you know, I wanted to do, uh, and then, you know, sit in it for the, you know, the length of time while I figure, while we all figure out, you know, what, you know, the real estate market's going to be like in the next couple of years. Um, and then depending on, you know, and, you know, working with your, the right advisors, again, we, we talked about this earlier about people who are knowledgeable about the DST space and this type of product, you know, you're having a good team around you, whether it be a CPA attorney, your managing broker dealer, financial advisors are all going to guide you to the specific product. Cause then there's certain DSTs that have the option even to go into uh, like the 721 upread, which is again, another subsect of a 1031. So you 1031 is the DST and then the ultimate REIT of that the sponsor owns in two years could buy that DST. And so then those investors have the option to, you know, stay in the DST and then they can go, uh, 1031 exchange, you know, when the, when they do when the DST does sell, or they can 721 up up re into uh, and go into the market. At that point, that ends their 1031, but then provides them with some flexibility about you know which you know avenue they want to go. Um, so we're definitely uh, seeing you talk people- a little bit. More? Some of that was above my head, I'm, and I know a lot of um, investors and advisors have been asking about that process. So that's a newer trend. Can yep. you walk? Can you kind of walk us through why that's happening now? Yeah, I, I would say I think because people are wanting to, again, with with choice, right, is they want to have as many options available to them as as possible. So, you know, maybe at first they're selling a piece of real estate. They want to you know, defer the capital gains because, again, you know, with a 1031 exchange, you're not eliminating those taxes. You're just deferring them uh, to another realized date. And so I think that's a key right. point there. So, you know, maybe you're whatever your economic situation is at that time, you know, with the capital gains rate, because obviously it can change between who's in office, you know, which parties in office and things like so the, that the percentages could change. So maybe you want to defer it a couple of years down the line, you know, at that point you can decide whether, okay, I'd like to realize those capital gains and go into, um, you know, go into like the, the real estate markets because now these are real estate investment trusts. Um, so yeah. now you're going into more securities avenue of an investment versus, uh, you know, a, a beneficial offering in a, in a DST if you decide to go that route. And because like, you know, some people ultimately their goal is to get into the, to the securities market, to, 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 the, to the public market or private, depending on what the what the REIT status is. Um, or they can then continue their 1031 and then just, you know, go on as they would if they want. Um, or, so you they, know- they, The investors then at the end of that cycle, they get the choice, either 1031 out or stay with us into the REIT, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay your capital gains tax as we go into the REIT. But I, yeah. I, assume, there, I assume there's other rewards for transferring the asset into the REIT, whether it's higher so, valuations or- so, so, the, so if you 721 upread, it is another capital gains deferment Okay. At, at that point of the transaction. But if you do sell your your interest in that REIT at whatever point, where then there's a capital gains realization. So, you so it's like they, they give you one last freebie with 721. Exactly like right. One last freebie, but then you either hold this REIT until you're six feet under uh, <laughs> or- you do get taxed eventually, but in the meantime, yeah, it's REIT. So all of the advantages of a REIT then would apply Correct. to that. Investment. Yeah. And there are some definite advantages um, to REITs. So that, that makes sense. Um, it's just really, it's really cool. I mean, thinking back 
to to where we started even our conversation the tenants in common to where it's all evolved right it's just yeah and the dsts and then more and more choices and still you know there's still relatively illiquid dsts of course but talking about you know going even but even then i think we're starting to see you know I, I think there will, uh, there will forever be the idea that you're meant to hold them long term. But I think the yeah. the idea of having a marketplace to replace capital for these certain investments is, I think, starting to grow, grow in traction over the last few years. Be, again, I think due to the popularity of the investment and more and more sponsors coming in and realizing investor situations can change at any point from month to month, year to year. And sometimes they may need that capital. And so how can we replace you know that person's offering? Um of, of the interest to, 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 to make it work. So all these new, new creative strategies. Um, and I think it's all evolved just because, you know, the, the economy itself and the way people want to invest is, is involved. And so I think it's, you know, all great. It's just now having the proper, you know, education, uh, companies in the market and, you know, the systems in place to make sure that it, you know, obviously continues to succeed and, um, and go in the trend that we, you know, we've been seeing. Yeah. And I, you know, JTC Americas, I think you all do a very good job uh, educating folks about, you know, how DSTs work, 1031 exchanges. We're trying to do that here at AltsDB on the Alternative Investment Podcast, um, because there's there's a lot of good tax advantage programs that uh, investors don't even take full advantage of. You know, it's like, let's let's optimize. Let's take the current tax code, these current tax programs. Let's optimize what we have. There's still a lot of, if you look nationwide, there's a lot of low hanging fruit being left on the table. I mean, even oh, yeah. by even by ultra high net worth and family offices, there's a lot of low hanging fruit left. Um, Justin, but we, I know we're running low on time, but I want to put you on the hot seat okay. with a couple of predictions here. Okay, so we talked about you. You threw out some stats on the growth of the DST market in terms of assets, transaction volume. Um, in the past several years do you see that continuing i mean let's 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 fast forward five years from now so 2027 how big is the dst market in 2027 is it is it going to double is it going to is it going to two and a half times from here what do you think so uh, i think so i think i think it's a, a one loaded question but i do think you know as long as the industry itself is making the right strides and be you know continuing i think to embrace technology you know embrace the transparency um as you know as you know when dsc's first came to space a lot of these sponsors were doing this in-house and you know now more ras are starting to become you know aware that this is an investment solution for their for for, for their clients that have maybe some cash and or real estate um and and on top of that, more and more sponsors, companies that never did 1031 exchanges or these types of investments are now starting to come into the industry. Maybe they were just traditional private equity and are wanting to now have you know expand on their uh, their investors that they can you know pull for different types of offerings. So I definitely I, doubling I think is is definitely reasonable in, within the next five years. Um, you know, but I don't want to hold to a quote, but I definitely think if we are making the right strides, there's definitely, Oh no, we're, we're going to hold you to it. I'm going to write down <laughs> today's date and I'll yeah, I, I definitely think doubling. I think, I think all the, from all the different, you know, uh, 
pieces beyond the sponsors. So you have like your wealth forges, your you know, Altigos, your technologies that are starting to embrace alternative investments as as a real as a real solution as in tax advantage offerings. I, you know, I don't see the sky's the limit with DSTs. I, I, and so doubling by you know 2027, I think is definitely having a real case to do it. Especially if you know physical piece of real estate is um, for these average investors is on the low, DSTs will become an uh, even more advantageous type of offer. I like it. No, I'll I'll take that. I'll take the the doubling in five years. Um, if of course if inflation stays you know elevated where it is, I think it might double in nominal terms, even if it holds even in real terms. So we yeah. might see we might see a triple in nominal terms. I guess. Um, but, but Justin, I, I think we're about out of time, but where can our visitors go, uh, to learn more about JTC Americas, as well as all the services you provide? Cause I know you provide services both for investors as well as to fund sponsors. Yes. No. So, uh, you can, you can find us at jtcamericas.com. You can click on the 1031 exchange slash DST section that covers, uh, our information, uh, on all our different types of solutions. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to well, posting there our, our monthly blogs and any relative uh, 1031 exchange information uh, for the industry to try to keep everyone up to date. Awesome. So for our listeners and viewers, if you want links to everything we mentioned, including a link to Justin's LinkedIn page, uh, you can access our show notes at altsdb.com slash podcast and don't forget to subscribe to the show on youtube and your favorite podcast listening platform so you can receive our new episodes as we release them justin thanks again for coming on the show today this was a blast no this is awesome thank you very much for having me that's it for our show today a huge thank you to you our listener if you like this episode please rate and review us on apple podcasts the Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database, online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 